Man, I thank God for this opportunity. Pastor Blake is actually in, in Colorado Springs preaching in our home church this morning right now as we speak. Um, probably still preaching. Yep, he's preaching now. Uh, let's be praying for him and just believing God for miracles. Amen. And lives to be restored and changed there. Hallelujah. Jose got married this weekend. Amen. Jose and Brianna, they'll be, <clears throat> praise God for that. And I'm sure you had the opportunity to watch on Facebook their, uh, their, their wedding. Amen. And it was, I heard it was beautiful. I didn't know it was on Facebook. But anyways, I'll go back and watch it or I'll at least hear from them when they get home. Amen. But uh, let's uh, congratulate them when they get back and uh, just be in their lives and just be a blessing to them. Praise God. Amen. Well, glory to God. I always consider it a blessing to be able to minister the Word of God when pastor's not here or even when he's here, just to be able to uh, minister the Word of God. I love to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's in me. Uh, it's who I am. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to stir you up a little bit this morning. And uh, for those that say it's not okay, I'm sorry, but it's too bad. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to preach the Word of God, and I'm going to just uh, let God use me this morning. Amen. I want to title this message, Desire to be a watchman. Amen? And you can ask yourself many questions. Do you have a desire to be a watchman? Or are you desiring to be a watchman? But I titled the message, Desire to be a Watchman. Now, you and I today, you know, at the moment of conversion, let's go ahead and read what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 15. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Didn't know it was that easy, did you? He says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever, who, uh, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 says, How then shall they call upon him in, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, God. We ask you to open up our hearts. We ask you to open our minds, God, to receive this word this morning. Lord, I pray that you use me as an oracle, a vessel of the Holy Spirit this morning to minister your word, Father God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, Father. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So at the moment of conversion, in, 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 you know, we're, 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 we're talking about being saved and giving our lives to Jesus Christ. In the very moment of conversion, there is a supernatural transformation that goes on in our life. There's something, uh, as the world would call it, magical that goes on in our life. Amen? God begins to do a new work in us. He begins to take that old creature and make us brand new. Amen? Can I get a bigger amen? So God's call, his, his call becomes real in our life. And it's a call to reach the world and, 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 and then be placed upon our hearts a, a vision and a zeal for God to see souls saved. 
Amen? He wants that you and I can, uh, to, be, uh, to understand that because now we're saved, we can be used as a vessel for Jesus Christ, amen, to win souls. You see, God begins to equip that person for service. When we give our lives to God, that's right then when he begins to start doing a work in us to show us how to live a life that, that, that can be seen by others, and not so that they just copy me, but so they can see how to serve God and how to make heaven their home. Amen? We become an example. And at the moment of conversion, we become a disciple. Amen? Can you say disciple? We become disciples. Amen? And, and, and there's a big, uh, you know, the Greek word for disciple is methetis, methetis. However you want to say that word. Amen? Now, what it means to be a, a disciple, it means that you are a learner. You are a pupil. It says, the Bible says the definition of it is learning by following. Okay? That means uh, that we, we, we can't just be taught how to do something because discipleship is not taught, but it is caught. Amen? And pastors told us that for years. It's not taught, it's caught. So that we, 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 we see how things are done and we begin to learn how to do those things. It's like when you get a new job. They can sit you through training. They can turn the big screen on and show you exactly what you have to do every single day. But there's something that's more important than learning what you have to do by seeing it or by being taught that helps you, and it's actually being put in to the position of doing the job. You learn by trial and error. When you get saved, you learn by trial and error. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you come in as who you are. But God begins to transform your life. He begins to do a work in you, amen? And that's what it's all about. And the ultimate test of discipleship, it's really not about the head knowledge. It's not about uh, the scripture memorization or just coming to church and, and being the most faithful person to the church on every Sunday and every Wednesday. Although these things are very important, uh, they're necessary in our walk with God. But the answer today is we are to be the expression of God's nature or have the expression of God's nature in us. In other words, it's evident that that person is saved. It's evident that that person is walking right with God because they are excited. They have the joy of the Lord in their life. Uh, things are happening. God is doing great and mighty things in their life. That does not mean that they're never going to, going to face a trial. It does not mean that they will never have a, a problem or a sad day in their life. Amen? Christians have bad days. It don't mean we just go out and kill somebody on a bad day. Amen? But it, it, we need to know that we are going to face days that are more difficult than others in our life. Amen? So the expression of God's nature in our life. The Apostle Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It's a very simple scripture. It says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Amen? And Jesus' heart, his heart was not using the word to make more money. It was not to gather people in these big, beautiful buildings just to make money. Now, listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a nice building. If your vision is to win souls and cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, and preach the unadulterated word of God, I don't have a problem with it, amen? But I'm talking about those that are building their dynasty through the kingdom, through the kingdom of God. So, one of the things we need to understand, it's not about our preaching. Pastor Jones told me something years ago. It's not the preparation of the sermon that's important, but it's the, the preparation of the messenger that is most important. 
You say, well, I can't put a message together. Well, then let me ask you a question. Where is your heart with God right now? Because if your heart is in right standing with God, then you will get up and you will minister the word of God and God, uh, his power will, be, will move and it will do something great uh, in that atmosphere and in that environment uh, because the messenger's heart uh, is right with God. Amen? That means before we get up and preach, we say, Lord, if there is any unclean sin, and sometimes we can name the sin. Lord, I pray, God, that you deliver me, set me free. But, God, I want to be free and clean in your eyes, Lord. Because I don't want to stand up here and have something in my life, and I'm sitting here telling you that, that you know, that's not what God expects or wants. I want to be clean with God. Now, that doesn't mean that I just go live my life any way I want to live it on Monday, Tuesday, and on Wednesday before we come to church, I repent. No, I repent daily. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm repenting daily. I am always uh, finding a way that I can, can strive uh, for righteousness and do things for God. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, the gospel has always been an offense. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17 through 30. I'm going to read this quick. I think it's important I go ahead and read the whole thing. I was, I was going to just read a part of it, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. So 1 Corinthians 1, 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where, it is, uh, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the, the, the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. And, and, and Greeks uh, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, uh, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the, wickedness of, uh, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to, to bring to nothing... The things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And verse 30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now let's run over real quick to uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 1 through 5. And it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, de declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except uh, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in the weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. 
And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. What a powerful scripture. Amen. I'll tell you what, if we would just live by these scriptures, I'll tell you what, we'd make it. You know, there's a lot of very uh, amazing radicals for God in the Bible. We can talk about people who, who, who have done great and mighty things for God, but a couple come to mind for me. One of them was Peter. Peter was a loudmouth fisherman who liked to fight. Are there any loudmouth fishermen in this place who love to fight? Amen. I'm one of them too, amen? We're loudmouthed fishermen who love to fight. Glory to God. But I got news for you. God was able to use this man, Peter, amen? He was able to do great and mighty things through his life. Another one is Matthew. Matthew, he worked for the IRS. How many love the IRS? You like the IRS, Michael? You crazy. Hallelujah, amen? He was just kidding. Listen, we don't like the IRS. Every time the IRS calls or sends a letter, listen, all it does is bring strife and stress upon our lives, and we worry, and we think we're going to be in debt, and we owe them money. And listen, this man, he worked for the IRS, and God even used him. Amen? I'm telling you, there's hope for all of us. Every single one of us. Mary Magdalene, the prostitute who had very many demons. She had seven demons in her life. Listen, you, you could put your name in that category. Look at uh, Mario Owens, the drunk, the alcoholic, the, the alcoholic, the pervert, the every other thing in the book that he could be named. Amen? Put your name in there. Think about what God has done in your life, how God has began to use you. I remember uh, Kirk, his, his testimony when, when, when uh, he was a young boy. He, he loved rap music. Let me tell you something, young kids. I'm going to tell you the truth about something. They're not young kids anymore. They're growing up. My goodness. There's a bunch of you in here. If you got a problem with, with rap music, worldly rap music, I want you to go talk to him. He's got a testimony that will rock your world. How he loved it. You, you remember that. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking the truth because I remember I've known him since he was born. But I'm telling you the truth. This man, he loved it. Matter of fact, he used to get up. He thought he was one of the Beastie Boys. He was rapping all the time in the church. He had his group, and, and he would rap. And if you get him on a good day, he might even do a little rap for you. Amen? But I'll tell you what, he had, before he got on fire for God, he had this desire, and it was rap music. He loved it. And he had a lot of other things in his life that he'll probably share with you, too, if you go and ask him. But God delivered him, God set him free, and God began to use those things in his life for God's glory. Hallelujah, amen. Praise God. See, God, God, listen, he'll do it. If, if we will surrender it's like what that first scripture said, if we'll confess with our mouth and we'll acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior, he'll do anything we ask him to do. He'll help you get through any trial that you'll ever have to go through in your life, I promise you that. So there's radicals who prayed radical prayers in the Bible too. These men who were radical about the things of God. Joshua, he prayed looking at the sun and the sun, he said, stand still. And guess what? It was one whole day that the sun had stood still. How many would like the sun to stand still for you? How many would like uh, for an extra paycheck to come in the mail one day, man? How many would like to look at your bank account and see that somebody just put a million dollars in your bank? Oh, well, look, it's amazing how many people answer that one. Glory to God. Give me the million dollars. I'll take it. You know what? We don't play the lottery to, to win money, amen? We don't play the lottery. We put, we put our trust in Jesus Christ. 
Amen? And that doesn't mean that giving to God is our lottery. And that's not what it, we're talking about today. But we don't participate in things like that because the world plays the lottery so they can get rich. And really, the truth of the matter is, there's very few people that have gotten rich playing the lottery. Most people go poor playing the lottery. And we take the blessing that God has given us, and come on, don't shout me down now. I start talking about the lottery and people put their heads down. But let me tell you something. We take what God has given us, uh, the blessing the Lord has poured on our life, and we go and put it into something that's worldly, thinking that there's going to be a return. See, that's not where God wants us to put our investment. God wants to invest into the kingdom of God. You cannot outgive God. Amen? Elijah was another one. He prayed for fire to come down out of heaven. He saw miracles. These are men who were radical. Isaiah, when God asked him, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Amen? Here I am, send me, Lord. Now, there's a lot of things involved in that, but hey, immediately God said, go and tell this people. It doesn't mean you got to go and pastor a church. It doesn't mean you have to move to another city and do something great for God. It means that God can use you right here, right now, where you are in this very moment. Amen? God began, he can begin to do a good work in your life. But let me tell you, here's the problem right here. Leonard Ravenhill said, he said, I'm distressed at the zeal of heretics and the amnesia of the believers in the church. Amen? The amnesia. The, I'm talking about the church people. You see, much of the church world, they are ashamed of speaking in tongues. Did you know that? There's some in this place today. You say, well, I'd never speak in tongues out loud. There's some even in this Pentecostal uh, Christian church, you, you, you don't even believe that, that speaking in tongues in public is even right. But listen, the Bible gives a very uh, good explanation of what it is to speak in tongues. If you hear me in a church service speaking in tongues, I'm not talking to you. If God wants you to know what I'm saying, he's going to interpret it. Someone will interpret what I just said. It'll be God. Amen? But if I'm speaking in tongues, I'm crying out to God in a heavenly language that only God knows that I'm talking to him and he understands it. Amen? And he's going to come through for me in that very moment. He has never let me down. Did you hear what I said? He has never, not one time, let me down. Did I have something to fix? Did I have a problem? You better believe it, I did. But he has never, 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 never let me down. And I thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, amen. I thank God for the evidence, the power of speaking in tongues, because it is like a, I'm telling you what, it is like a power that comes on you, like turning on a switch, amen. Hallelujah, it's powerful. But then, here again, the church world is ashamed of miracles and praying for the sick and laying hands on people at altars and having altar calls. And you notice in big churches now, they got the altar so high you couldn't come to an altar if you wanted to. Boy, casting out a devil, you couldn't. Man, I'll tell you, I was in, uh, where was I at? I was in Sheffield, England one time. I was in a community, a Muslim community. And I was preaching the gospel, man. I was preaching. The place was packed out. These, these gypsies were all over the place. They were climbing the walls in this church. They had two-liter bottles of soda pop drinking. They were sweating so bad. I'm telling you what, it was a Holy Ghost revival. We were in there, and, and the power of God was moving. And all of a sudden, I was walking down the aisle, and I was preaching. And this woman, she was sitting about where Jerry's sitting right there, and she began to manifest. The devil came out of her. And I'm telling you what, she started flopping and screaming and shouting. And I'm walking up the aisle. I just calmly walked over to her and said, Come out, devil, in the name of Jesus. And boom, that woman just fell, fell to the floor. 
And the devil jumped up and ran out of that place. You said that woman got up and ran out of the place? No, that woman stayed there. The devil was in her and left. And it was evident. You could see her with your eye. That demon just went whoo, right out that door. I didn't stop. I didn't explain it to the church. Even though everybody had their jaw to the floor and their eyes were as big as saucers, they couldn't believe what they just seen. But I didn't give it any attention. We just kept preaching. I kept casting out devils. Hallelujah. And God did a work in that place. Amen. Listen, we cannot be afraid today. Too many of the church world today has given up. I want you to listen very carefully. This backslidden mentality is about to change. All that's going on in this world, people are coming back to God. We're going to see a revival. We're going to see a revival in our young people. We're going to see God do great and mighty things. Matter of fact, all the older folk, we're going to get stirred up and shook up by our young kids watching what God is doing in their life. Amen. There's going to be a revival in this nation, and we are going to see it. Hallelujah. And we're going to see Jesus come back. I believe in my heart. Amen. I don't have a time or a day, but I believe that God is coming back for his people. And then time outpouring that will rock this generation like never before. We need it, amen? We need it. You see, the church doesn't need more big shot preachers or teachers. We've seen enough of those. You turn the television on, you got one big wig preacher after the next preaching their doctrine, their theory, their theology, whatever the case might be, their Bible they wrote. I'm telling you something, we need to preach Jesus Christ crucified, hallelujah. Oh, he can redeem you, set you free. He can break every bondage of sin in your life. Oh, I'll tell you, we got to believe it today, hallelujah. We need disciples today, man. That's what we need, we need disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a watchman. On the tower. That's what, a, that's what a disciple is. He's a watchman on the tower. He's looking out. He's making sure that everything is good. We need more armor bearers. Hallelujah. We need men that will stand up, women that will stand up and protect and fight and believe in something and make it happen. Glory to God. We need more Stevens uh, in this world. Amen. This martyr, he, uh, listen, this man, uh, he was ready to lay down his life for his God. I said he was ready and willing to lay down his life for his God. And that's what we need in this world today. You know, too many times we've been given a responsibility in our walk with God. And we've fallen asleep at the will. We've been given an authority to be the watchman over our homes, over our families, over our ministries, over our children, over our wives, over our, our home, everything that goes on in our life. We've been giving that, given that by God. And you know what we've done? We've taken advantage of it. How many saw the movie Titanic? A very, very, very popular movie. Matter of fact, I was just, I don't even know where I went. I think it was uh, Branson. And uh, got to go through a museum that was there. It was pretty interesting. Got to learn a lot of stuff. But one of the things I know about the Titanic was the, the story goes that this ship crew, uh, the, the ship, its crew, uh, they were so secure in their newest most beautiful ship ever built, most secure thing they ever seen in their whole life, that the watchman fell asleep on his shift and never even seen that iceberg in the water. He never saw it. He fell asleep because he was so secure in the technology, in the beauty, in the size of, of the ship that could just destroy anything and it could cut through the glaciers, whatever it had to do. This man fell asleep because of being comfortable in that beautiful thing 
and it sunk them. I said it sunk them. It destroyed the ship. They all, you know how many people died in it? You know how many people lived? The story goes on and on. But I'm going to tell you something. We cannot get so comfortable in this life that we are living. We cannot come to this wonderful church that we have here and just sit here comfortably thinking that only God can do what he's going to do. No, listen. God is the one that does the work, but he needs us to help him. He needs us to get involved. He needs us to get locked in. Hallelujah. Amen. So a watchman is not a popular position. It's not, it's not a popular, it's not like being the quarterback of the team. The watchman is actually the guy that signed everybody up to play. He says, okay, these are the guys I've brought in, and these are the guys that we're putting in these places. You know, the guy throwing the ball, he's just the quarterback. He just throws the ball in the air. Hopefully his receiver catches it. But the watchman, uh, this guy, he, listen, it's not a popular position because when something goes wrong with anything out in the field, guess what? He's the one responsible for it. Okay. You see, John Elway, when he played, I know you all are Cowboys fans, most of you, but John Elway, when he played, I'm a diehard Bronco fan. Y'all trying to convert me to the Cowboys. We'll see what God does. But I'm, I'm a diehard Bronco fan. John Elway is not as good as a general manager as he was a football player. Now, he, he means well. He's brought in only about 14 quarterbacks in the past 15 years. No big deal, right? But when he was a player, guess what he did? He made it happen out there on that field. He didn't care if he had to take a hit. He didn't care if he had to run one direction and keep running and ran for his life. But he knew how to take care of it on the field. But in the box up at the top, you can't do it yourself. When you're at work, husband or wife, you, you can't deal with the kids from home. Oh, it's nice. You got cameras all over the place. And, you know, I've we've told our kids all their lives, oh, we got cameras on you. Don't you worry. And they'll be going through the house looking. Where's the camera? Oh, Dad, I know where your cameras are. Oh, I see them. I see them. I see them. Well, truth of the matter is, half the time we're lying. We ain't even got the cameras in the house. But my kids called me out. You know, you, when you raise a Landon, you got a very special place in heaven. Amen? Landon would come to me, and he'd be like, Dad, you, you, you don't have no cameras in this place. I said, son, I do. He says, Dad, you're lying. You're going to hell. I said, son, I'm not going to hell. I'm not lying. I got a camera on my laptop. I got a camera on my cell phone. I got a camera laying over in the drawer over there. I got cameras all over the house that you know I have, but you just don't know where the hidden cameras are. You know, the Lord says, I, he, the, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro. That means God has eyes in the back of his head. Amen. God can see it all. And listen, I tell my kids when I show up, the Holy Ghost shows up. Amen. It's not that I am the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost is in me. And I walk in the Holy Ghost. I walk in the power of God. I walk in His presence. I walk in His anointing. And most of it was to put the fear of God in these kids, amen, which it did work, amen. They did have some fear in them. But kids will be kids. Amen. We need to understand that today, amen. So listen to this. A watchman, they were called radicals. You ever see somebody get used in church and they start to get involved in everything around them? I'm not going to mention any names here because there are jealous people in churches. But you ever see someone get saved, they get their life in order, and all of a sudden they just want to be used? They just want to be touched? They just want, they just want God to, to do everything through them? And, and you know, they're, they're excited things? Listen, they get radical about the things of God. They get radical, they get excited, and they just want to be used, not because they want to be lifted up, it's because they can't make it if they're not being used. We can't make it if we're not doing something great for God, amen? So watchmen, 
doesn't accept every new doctrine or new revelation that comes down the mainstream. A watchman cries out, Danger! Danger! A watchman stands up and speaks the truth when things are going on around them that they have no control of. A watchman won't listen to you tell them something about somebody that isn't even true. A watchman's not going to be somebody who's going to spread gossip throughout the church. A watchman is not going to be somebody who speaks false information into somebody's life just to make themselves look bigger and better. A watchman's going to say, you know what? I have a responsibility in the kingdom of God to be used by God and to speak the truth. Amen? I said to speak the truth. That means when someone comes to you with a problem and you, they say, you know what? Have you ever heard anybody? Now, don't lift your hands up and don't mention any names, please. But you ever had anybody just walk up to you and say, hey, I need prayer? My wife is so-and-so and I need, let me just tell you a few minutes what's going on here. She this, she that. No, 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 no. See, don't come to me and tell me all the problems about your husband or your wife. Because if you come to me and start telling me, you know, my wife this, and I need, we need prayer in our marriage, Pastor, because so-and-so, you know, she's this, and this is what she says. and Don't, don't do that to me, because I'm going to say to you, okay, let's pray right now in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. Lord. I'm going to go to prayer. Because I don't want you to belittle that person that you love. Same thing in the church. When someone comes to you and says, well, so-and-so's offended me. My brother over here is offending me. My sister over there is offending me. And I'm just really mad about it. You know, the Bible says go to that person and work it out. But when we carry this in our hearts and we begin to go and destroy somebody else's life because it's going to make us feel better to get it off our chest. You know what it's called? It's called spiritual gossip. It's called spiritual witchcraft. When we go and tell somebody everything they need to know to think badly of somebody else. And we shouldn't do that. When someone comes to us with a need, and it's a pressing need, it's a major problem in the church, then we need to send them to our pastors. You say, you need to go to pastor, you need to talk to pastor about it, and, and, and let God help you with this situation. But me, in the meantime, I'll pray for you right now. You don't need to know details. I, I don't want to know the details. When you come to me, I don't want to know your dirty laundry. I don't want to know that. Because I've got to lay down at night, and I've got to put my head on my pillow at night, and I've got to try to sleep, just like you do. You'd be surprised how many preachers go to bed with your burdens on their mind. Our pastor goes to bed every night with your burdens on his mind. Now listen, we've signed up for this. God called us into the ministry. This is what we do. But don't be offended. Don't be offended when, 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 when the truth is spoken. We need to be that person that stands up and, and cries out and says, listen, you are in danger. You should not live your life that way. You should do this uh, or you should. Now, I'm not talking about just directing traffic in everybody's life. I'm not talking about being a boss man in the church. I'm talking about uh, calling sin what it is. Amen? It's like the story I tell of a guy we saw. He was in our home church years ago. My wife and I were walking downtown holding hands. We were two little kids walking down, just in love with each other, walking. And my wife, we saw a person that went to our church inside that bar. Through the window. Most of you already know the story. I'll tell it again. And we're walking down. You see, I seen this person, and I said, I can't believe. What is he doing in there? And this person had marital problems. One marital problem after the next was going on in this man's life. And here he is in a bar. And we walked up close as we could to the window. We, got, we walked right up to the big picture window. 
And we're standing there looking, and, and I'm looking, I'm trying to get his attention. And I'm going like this, and my wife's in there going, she's banging on the glass. Listen, that woman, she's crazy. She got up on the glass, stood up on the windowsill, she's standing there banging on the glass. And when this man saw her, he dropped down in the crowd, and he ran through the crowd like a rat. Gone. But you know what we did? We confronted the sin. We didn't say, oh, I'm going to go tell my pastor what I saw. I'm going to go and tell somebody in the church what I saw. Oh, oh, you know what the problem is? Sometimes we go to the phone instead of going to the throne. There's people in this place, you don't feel loved today in this church. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Your responsibility in the church is to love people. You can ask for love all day long, but you're looking for love in all the wrong places when you do that. Just like the good old song says. But when you trust and rely in Jesus Christ and you cling to his love and you cling to him, he begins to put a love in you for people. And there's some of you in this place that maybe don't care a whole lot for me, and that's okay. I, I mean, I'd like to just believe everybody loves me. But, you know, I'm a little radical. And there's people that say, oh, I don't really like this dude, man. I, I'm not looking him in his eyes because he can see down into my soul. Well, you better believe it because I'm looking in your eyes because I want to see down in your soul. Michael's one of my disciples. I've, I've really clinged to this man. He's, I'm telling you, I love this boy. And, Michael, you're going to make it. But I'm going to tell you something. He knows when I speak to him, <laughs> it ain't always nice. And he knows when I look at him, it's going to hurt. But you want to know what? He knows that I love him. And I'm not worried if he walks away and says, I can't stand that man. I'm not worried about it. You want to know why? Because I did my duty. I stood firm on the word. I stood firm in Christ's love, and I poured my heart out to that man, and I love him. He knows I love him. You all know now that I love him because I just love him. Guy's been trying to get me to go fishing with him for a week. I can't get time to go fishing, Mike. But we're going to go fishing. And I'm going to catch more fish than him because I'm anointed fishing. Facebook just saw that. I'm not a very good fisherman. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to souls, I'm a fisherman. I preach the gospel. Now, don't give me this. Oh, well, you're not my pastor. Well, I got news for you. <laughs> I'm one of your pastors. Whether you like it or not. Why? Because your pastor put me here as your pastor, too. He stood me up in this church, and he said, we're bringing them in here, and they're going to assist us in this church. I didn't ask for that. I got a calling of God in my life, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a pastor here, there, or wherever, but God is using me right here. And if you'll allow us to speak into your lives, you, listen to me, you'll be blessed. Are we always right? No, absolutely not. But we have a great team of men in this church who are leaders, men who have pastored their own churches, that have experience, that understand, and that know and that love people for who they are, amen? And we will make the right choice. Even when we're wrong, guess what we know how to say? I'm so, 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 so sorry. That's hard for a lot of people to say. But when I'm wrong, I can say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I won't do that again. Why? Because I love you.
And when I preach a word like that, I got so much more I could preach today. I got notes and notes. I got 10 pages of notes I came with this morning. I only finished four pages. That's okay. I'll ask Pastor to let me preach again. I'll preach the rest of it. But I want you to know something. We're thankful for every single one of you that pressed in. Now, if you're playing games with God, we're coming for you. If you're messing around and you're just playing church, guess what? We're coming for you. We're preaching at you. We're going to help you make it, amen? Because sometimes we need a little bit of help to make it. Kirk, when he was a young man, he needed all the help he could get to make it. He needed God. God used him to pastor a church. He's pastored more than one church. He pastored in Phoenix. I feel like he paved the way for us when we went there. I'm grateful for the relationship that we had. He was able to explain a lot to me about the city when we got there. He helped. He served on the mission field in Costa Rica. He helped Pastor Blake when he first started his church. Let me tell you something. There's men in this church that know what I'm talking about. Dwayne, he's sitting here right here. This man, he's pastored a church. He knows what it's like. And guess what? We're, we're all not here forever. You never know what God will do. God might say, hey, guess what? You're going to pastor another church somewhere else. We don't know what God has in store, but for right now, this is where we're at. And guess what we're doing? We're preaching the gospel. We're populating heaven and plundering hell. Glory to God. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Let's be a watchman for God. Let's be a watchman. Let's be a disciple for our pastor. Let's love the Lord with all of our hearts. And let's not complain and bicker and complain and, and fight with one another. Let's lift each other up. Let's build relationships. Let me tell you something. If you don't have any friends in this church, it's nobody else's fault but your own. Because like I told you before, you could all hate me in this place, but I would kill you with kindness. I would love you like you've never been loved before because that's what Christ has put in me. I got too much, Kirk, he used to always say this, I got more love than you got hate. That's what he would tell him when somebody get in his face on the basketball court, I've got more love than you got hate. Someone in the church would offend him. He would say, I've got more love than you've got hate. You know, we ought to learn that saying. I've got more love than you got hate. I've got more love for Jesus than the world has for its sickness. Amen? Let's get radical for Jesus. Let's stand up to our feet this morning. Let's bow our heads, if you would. Just bow your heads before the Lord in reverence to God. I know I went a little bit long this morning, but I want you to know that our God is merciful. Let me tell you something. We are nobody that we can say that we're above anything. The devil is real. I said the devil is real in this place. You teenagers, you have a fight that I can't even understand. I can't even understand it. The social media that is taking over this world. Listen, you have a fight that you have to overcome. And matter of fact, you're going to have to teach us how to overcome it because we don't know. But I got news for you today. Our Lord and Savior's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a mighty God. He's a just God. He's a God who will send fire. Fire, what does it do? It purifies. It cleanses. It heals. 
If you set yourself on fire, you'd be surprised what God will do in your life. There was an old story that I had heard of years ago. And it was an old Billy Graham. Well, one of the, one of the biggest problems in, in life today is that people aren't willing to change their lifestyle. They're not willing to get away. The story I wanted to just share real quick was in 1666, London, England. There was a fire that was so intense that it perpetrated, it, it, it penetrated the ground so deep. It was such a hot fire. It penetrated the ground so deep that when it cooled, there were unknown flowers from long ago that sprung up on those grounds. You'd be surprised if you set yourself on fire with the things of God, what would spring up inside your soul. It'd be an unknown calling. It would be an unknown vision. It would be an unknown strength. It would be an unknown power and authority that God would give you if you would just surrender and, and light yourself spiritually on fire. You see, one of the problems is, is we have this generation that when we give our lives to Jesus, we want to continue to live our life the way we're living it. And I'm not going to bore you, but I believe that this story is very important. Billy Graham and another preacher, they were preaching a revival. And they noticed in this revival there was a notorious gangster. His name was Mickey Cohan. He was sitting out there in his crowd. That night he would not respond to the altar call because this hard man was sitting there and could not pride himself to come down to the altar to give his life to Jesus. But it was known that sometime later they had heard that he accepted Jesus Christ but that there was no apparent change in his life. He had accepted Jesus but there was no apparent change in his life. And when the one preacher confronted him, he began to get upset. And he said, you didn't tell me that I would have to give up my, my work, my gangster work. He said, you didn't tell me I had to give up my work. You didn't tell me I'd have to give up my friends, other gangsters. Why? He heard that so-and-so was a Christian actress and so-and-so was a Christian senator and so-and-so was a Christian cowboy. So he really thought that he'd be, he could become a Christian gangster because he was never told the truth. And this morning, I'm here to tell you the truth. You cannot hold on to your past. You cannot be who you used to be. You cannot talk like you used to talk. You cannot look at the things that you used to look at and drink the things you drank and do the things you used to do and call yourself a Christian. 
You've got to start over and you've got to let God be the one in charge of your life. And this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to make a call. You're here today, you say, Pastor, I am not saved, I'm not right with God. And I want to surrender right now. Just lift your hand up, I want to pray for you. Come on, put it up, put it up, put it right back down. I see these hands, how many more? Put them up. Listen, this could be your last moment. I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but I'm speaking truth. You say, I'm, I, there are still things in my life that I'm holding on to from my past. There are still things in my life that are destroying me and, and are not allowing me to get closer to God. Maybe there are people in your life that are on the fence right now. They're half saved and they're half unsaved, if that's even possible. And God could use you to be the vessel to win them to Jesus Christ, but you have not done your part. Salvation is broad, but we have to confess with our mouth and acknowledge Him as our Lord and Savior. And this morning, I want you to have that opportunity. All over this place this morning, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father.